Transmission. Said if we don't know we life uh finds a way. Start the stark contrast. Hello boys and girls. This is the Stark Contrast. I am your host, Rod Stark. For this Friday episode, we've got a very special episode for you. Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm gonna be 36, and I decided it what better time to uh tackle an important issue to me, something near and dear to my heart. And as I'm sure you guys have all figured out by now by the title of the episode and the brief synopsis, this episode is about suicide. I have had some people close to me that have committed suicide in my life, and I'm sure a lot of you have as well being how prevalent that it is. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in America. 123 people every day die from suicide, which is the equivalent of 44,965 per year. That's just a crazy statistic to think about how many people end their lives on a daily basis. And I think the problem with it is we don't talk enough about suicide. We don't talk enough about depression. I really was drawn to this quote by Judy Collins. She said, I think suicide is sort of like cancer was 50 years ago. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to know about it. People are frightened of it and they don't understand it when actually these issues are medically treatable. I think that's a very powerful quote because there's so much truth in that. We like to stay quiet about suicide because we think if we don't talk about it, maybe it won't happen to those that are close to us. But that is the opposite of the approach that we need to have to have a, a meaningful impact on it and to make any kind of a change when it comes to society. It's definitely an issue more and more with society today. We've become so detached from each other with social media. We have the quick, meaningless culture. Not to say that there's not fun to it, but overall, you know, the culture has become a little bit vapid. Not that that's the only reason for suicide, but it definitely seems to be, in general, on the rise. There's just a loss of meaning in life, at least in my perspective. Only half of all Americans experiencing an episode of major depression get treatment, and only 1 in 25 attempts on suicide result in death. So with all those stats I gave you about people that have committed suicide a day, there's 25 times that that attempted. Out of those people, males are four times more likely than females to commit suicide, but females are three times more likely to attempt to commit suicide than men. With men, typically the outlet of choice is a gun. They just shoot themselves, where women tend to use pills, which is why they don't always succeed. Not that I succeed is the right word, but it's as good as any, I suppose. You know, it's definitely a hard thing for a lot of people to talk about. I know that I've had friends mention depression. I've actually had, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've had different friends in their interview process, throughout their interviews, they've mentioned slightly that they have gone through depression in different forms and different times in their life. And I think that's really indicative of society as a whole. Obviously, the numbers that I've been sharing with you show that it's not an isolated thing. It's a widespread thing. The key is just realizing how widespread it is and, you know, facing it head on. And with that, I'm going to share something with you guys that 
I've shared with less people than a shop teacher could show on his fingers. And that's that I actually, on the date of Friday, August 26, 2011, sat down. I wrote a bunch of letters to all the people that I love, and I made sure to make plans for my funeral. I went through every detail that could possibly be. I decided I wanted to be cremated. If there were any useful organs left, that they could be given to whoever needed them and then to be cremated, and my ashes to be put in two little vials and distributed among different friends and family to where they could spread my ashes where they wanted to. I went through and made sure that I had my life insurance long enough that Liam would be the beneficiary to a full life insurance policy on the results of my death. It turns out that if you have a policy for a certain amount of time, then the suicide clause is dropped, and I made sure that that was the case. And then I went and I called you know, and talked to a few of my friends and family I didn't let them know anything was wrong, just kind of let them know that I loved them and cared about them, and I hoped that they were doing well. And then I uh, I went to my grandparents' cottage. I locked the door. I put a note on the door that said, do not enter, just call the police. I then took 27 Norco pills, um, washed them down with a fifth of vodka, and then I climbed inside of a large lawn and leaf trash bag as to not leave a mess because when you, when the body dies, you release a bunch of fluids and such. And I didn't want that to be all over the cottage. So I made sure to keep myself inside of a large trash bag. I then watched a few movies that I was excited to watch as I drifted off to sleep, planned on never waking up. I made sure not to let on that I was going to be doing this because I didn't want to be stopped. I didn't want it to be a cry for help. That wasn't the idea of it. And I went to sleep that night in the evening of August 26th, like I said, planning on never waking up again. And I, you know, some people say, well, you know, I, I panicked halfway through and realized I wanted to live or somebody showed up and changed my mind. That wasn't the case with me. I, you know, made up the complete intent that the world was better off without me. It wasn't a case of trying to end the pain or anything like that. I just felt like a burden. I felt like I was at a point where I was hurting more than I was helping and that the world was better off without me. So I took the 27 Norco pills and, like I said, washed it down with vodka and went to sleep planning on never waking up. And then uh, to my chagrin, I woke up the next day with a uh, bit of a headache. But other than that, no worse for the wear. The I did proper research. I planned, like most pe- people do when it comes to suicide, I had planned it out in my head for months, waiting for the right time. And I had researched how much a lethal dose of hydrocodone was, and that was... 18 pills. So I knew that if I took nine extra, that I was well over that 90 milligram lethal dose and that there should be no chance of survival. But I was wrong. Or for whatever reason, I just, I didn't end up dying. At that point, you know, I, I spent the next couple of days sick. I didn't really tell anybody at the time uh, because no matter how depressed you think you feel when you um, attempt suicide, failing at suicide puts you in an even lower state at least immediately but 
you know, reflecting back, I, I realized that it was a temporary situation that if I would have gave it some time, it would have passed. That's not to say that I never think suicidal thoughts or get depressed ever now. I've come to the understanding with myself that I won't ever attempt again. It just isn't something that I feel to the point where it would be a benefit to people anymore. I do see value in what I do. Part of it with creating stuff with the interactions I have with friends and family and definitely with my son. While I was, I think people don't understand how depression really works, at least with me. It's like a thick fog. It's not that you're sad. It's that there's a fog just not only in feelings and sight. It just feels like a heavy blanket over you. And that every interaction is tainted by it. And, and then the suicidal thoughts are like water rising. And the depression distracts you from that water rising. So you don't really break the waves. You just stand in them. And then they get deeper and deeper until it's over your head and you try to swim a little bit, but it doesn't quite work anymore. And it's already too deep to really understand how to fight it. And that's kind of how it works. It creeps up on you. And when people say that suicide is a cowardice act, I don't feel like they really grasp what's going on when those thoughts happen. I don't think they get the fact that you're not taking it onto yourself because you feel like you're better or that you want to make other people feel. I, I know that on occasion that does happen, that somebody is trying to hurt somebody else and that's why they kill themselves. But most often it's because they feel like this heavy burden on everybody that they know and everybody that they love at the same time that that fog is there, that is just draining any kind of happiness or even sadness. There's just nothingness. There's an emptiness. And if you combine those two things, that heavy burden of worthlessness to everybody that you care about, that even when they say something to you to try to lift you up, that it makes you feel worse because you feel like you are that burden, that you are trouble and you're just not worthy of their time or their effort. And if, when you allow that stuff to build up inside you, you get to the point where that water is over your head and you can't swim anymore. And it just feels like you want the struggle to be over. And that's not to say that there aren't ways to help people through it or that you shouldn't reach out to a friend. You definitely should, but understanding that it's not a straightforward this or that way of fixing a situation or that there's not a color by numbers approach to fix depression is the first step in understanding how to actually deal with this overwhelming issue. Talking about it, letting people know that it's okay, it's human to have depressive thoughts sometimes and that it's okay to share those without being that burden because the sooner you do when the fog first starts rolling in you could do something you could step out when the water is only ankle deep you could step to higher ground but when you wait and it gets that thick fog where you can't see and you can't feel there you're at a point where the helping doesn't help anymore that 
people are almost like the parents on Charlie Brown, the want, 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 like it doesn't make sense. Even though you hear their words, the interpretations aren't there. It feels hollow. So this isn't a super fun episode. This isn't a funny episode. This is a real episode. I didn't share that story that I just shared with you because I want any kind of sympathy. In fact, that's why I don't share it or didn't share it in the past. I'm changing that now because I see how much sharing does make a difference when it comes to these types of things, that feeling that there are other people out there that have experienced things like you have or felt that darkness too can help with the understanding that everything is temporary even those down times even that thick fog will finally clear and it's okay to have dark days but talking and sharing and listening and experiencing makes a difference and there's ways in which it's important to constrict and get tightened up. There's times where you have to put up that shield, but you have to also loosen it too. It's something that I refer to as exercising the soul. There are situations in your life where you have to get firm and rigid to protect yourself that it's just so painful and hurtful that you have to bear down or you can't stand it anymore. But you have to learn to do things that keep that elasticity of your soul that loosen you up, whether it's music or art or creating or for some religion or just being with things and people that make you smile, even when you don't want to smile and laugh when you don't want to laugh. One of my favorite things for exercising the soul is stand-up comedy, to listen to stand-up comedy, because you can see how people take some negative hurtful, disassociated things in their life and make it into something that's fun and funny. And the joy and release that people have when they laugh is such a beautiful thing. But no matter what your thing is, how you like to exercise your soul, make sure to do it. Make sure to take that time, whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, whatever it is. Take that time to do it and realize that not everybody's thing is the same. And just because religion helped you with your darkness or your fog doesn't mean it's going to help your friend that is experiencing something similar. It's okay to offer it to him, but don't force it on him because that's adding to the problem instead of taking it away. And maybe instead of trying to give them your thing that worked for you, just embrace their thing that might work for them and go with them to their thing. Because sometimes that's another part of the depression is that you can't get yourself to get up and do the things that you so want to do, that you've wanted to do for so long, that you used to love to do. So just being there and knowing that, hey, you know, you always loved going to yoga, and I've really wanted to go and try it, even if you never have, just knowing that their thing is their thing, encourage them to go with you and make it about helping you to do it because no matter how depressed somebody is when they think they can help somebody else it usually lifts them up even if it's for one little moment and maybe that is the difference that it takes till the fog lifts just a little bit it's just distracting them with helping somebody else i'd like to share another quote with you it's from abraham Virgis. 
The flip side of suicide is that it leaves a lingering question in the minds of the people left behind. It's like a cancer that's metastasized. The suicide is the cancer. The metastasis is all the people saying why, why, why. You see, when you feel somebody that's withdrawn or you feel that your friends might be having some kind of depression, take that time now because you'll have those questions forever if you're not there when they need you, even when they can't tell you, because when they need you the most, they can't tell you at all because that burden is there, that they are worthless and that they're just bringing you down too. So try to be there even when you aren't sure what to do, just being there makes a difference. And if you have a friend that has seemed really down in the past and all of a sudden they seem really chipper and really happy to see you and really bright, still be cautious, still be on guard and still be there for them because sometimes that's the sign that the end is near. I know that's how it worked with me. I acted like I was really happy right before because the long process was going to be over that I wasn't going to be that burden anymore. So I made sure to leave a positive memory with all my friends and family. But thankfully, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to or the way I planned it to or the way it technically should have according to all the research that I did thoroughly research on how to take care of uh, the final effort. And then I, you know, I woke up that next day and thankfully I'm here to share that with you. And I hope that this whole episode made some kind of difference in your mind. If you are somebody that does feel that drain and that strain and that fog and that heavy burden while that water is lifting, if you ever need somebody to talk to, never hesitate to ask me a question to come to me. I'm always here. I will always reach out to you if I think I see something that could be even a possibility. And it's fine if it's not. I would rather be safe than sorry in such situations. But just know that you do have a friend out there that does understand. I've been there myself. I feel down from time to time. I feel like that's just part of the human condition, especially nowadays. I wish it wasn't, but it's just part of life. And sometimes that part of our experience, uh, I think I've rambled enough here. With that, I'm going to start to wrap it up. I would like to encourage all of you, like I said before, reach out to anybody you even think is a possibility that they could be going through something right now. Fall into the holiday season tends to be a time where these kind of things ramp up. I want you to know that there are important organizations out there. I'm going to be donating to a group called To Write Love on Her Arms. It's a great suicide prevention group. There are others out there. You don't have to donate to them if you don't want to. But I encourage you to if you do so have the ability and the money to. I will have a link up on my page. That was my birthday donation thing on Facebook. So if if you have the means and feel so inclined, please feel free to donate to that. I'm going to personally donate 25 cents per download of this episode on top of the money I've already downloaded that I've already donated to the cause. I thank you so much for your time. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We're going to leave you with that. I'm going to close on a clip 
from Bruce Lee, where he talks about transforming yourself into water. I gave a negative take on water and how it feels when you're suicidal and that water's over your head. I enjoyed his take on it, where he's talking about becoming the water. I'll leave on that. It's a quick clip. You guys have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday. This is what it is, okay? I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend.